Hey, fanboys and fangirls, it's Aaron. I wanted to invite you to a very special event happening this weekend, April 7th to 9th. Harry Tarantula is having their 25th anniversary, and as part of that, Speech Bubble is recording our first live episodes. Our first episode happens on Saturday, April 8th at 2 p.m. with Chip Zdarsky, the Eisner Award winner for Sex Criminals. He also works on Jughead, Captara, Star-Lord, Howard the Duck. Then on Sunday, April 9th, we have Eisner Award winner Jay Torres coming in. You might know him from Teen Titans Go, Batman Brave and the Bold, Brobot, The Mighty Zodiac. Both these creators will be signing right after they talk to us, so come on out and get your book signed. Jay Torres is even offering a comic to the first 25 people that are in attendance for his signing on Sunday. Plus, Leon is throwing in balloon animals and face painting, so it should be fun for the whole family. Come on out this weekend and help us celebrate this milestone at 6979 Young Street. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one on one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. Uh, I'm sure you found us on Never Sleeps Network at the NeverSleepsNetwork.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh, today on the program, we have Scott Sawyer. Scott is the creator of North, which is a comic featuring the latest Canadian superhero team. So, Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me, Aaron. It's it's great to have you. I read this comic a few weeks ago, and it definitely takes the sort of team recruitment book to a whole new level. I, I know that when you read Justice League, usually it starts with like the bigger heroes like Batman or Superman going around to create to uh, sorry recruit the lesser heroes like the Green Arrows and the people that they want on their team. But you sort of take it to a different, more depth Justifying length because it starts with everybody like hanging off of the CN Tower. Spoiler, this interview is over. Oh, it's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> like they're all hanging off the CN Tower and then it flashes back to like the recruitment thing. Yeah. And so and it ends on a cliffhanger. So you don't e- you don't even know what's gonna happen. So that's like that's the real thing. Like I'm waiting for issue two because it's <laughs> it's so it's so gripping. Oh good. I mean, what gave you the idea to do uh, North and uh, create a new sort of Canadian Justice League equivalent sort of thing. You know what's funny? I just had a flashback. Uh, sorry, I'll, I'll get to your your question for sure. Um, sure. I had bounced off a very early version of the script off of a friend of mine, uh, Kalman Andrzejewski, and uh, he's a working professional and he's he's a wonderful guy. Yeah, we've had him in here. Oh, okay, Captain Kanag. Yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, he's doing his uh, his part as well with the Canadiana, the comic book Canadiana, and uh, I remember. I was more excited about what was coming with it. And I passed him this like ridiculously underdeveloped first kind of issue uh, that was written. And he was kind of like, uh, okay, <laughs> like I, I guess I see what you're doing here, but it's not really a thing yet. <laughs> and uh, only because he was a friend, could I have gotten away with that? I think, uh, and have him still talk to me later, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, here we are years later. And, uh, you know, there's 13 issues, uh, written and it's volume one. And, uh, so, what made me try and tackle something like this? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, I, I think that I've always loved comics, so that goes without saying, perhaps. But I wanted to write something that we never had growing up. You know, we didn't have a lot of variety. Uh, the nods to Canadiana through comics were were always uh, small and fleeting, and some of them were local, and uh, some of them were from the big ones like Marvel and such, but they were always very small. So... Uh, it always, it, it, to me, it was unexplored territory. 
uh, and something that was familiar in because I grew up in Canada. I grew up in Sudbury and I've lived in Toronto since 99. And if we were going to write a story in the medium that we love with the genre that we love, then what is it going to be? Like, what would it be? And it was a great, the field was wide open in my mind because not everything had been done here. Uh, and you know, it's funny is that I, I wanted to really make sure not to fall into the trap of defining, make a Canadian comic book without slapping people with the cliches and insulting their intelligence with stuff that is just so deliberately flag waving and like make it intelligent. And you know, what's funny is that you don't have to try and define Canadian culture. Just tell a good story with interesting characters that happens in Canada and you've done it. You've done it. Right. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, I mean, hanging from the CN Tower means it's happening right here. Yeah, that was one way to do it. It's like, yeah, we're, what would what would suck? <laughs> as a first outing as a team, what would really suck? Yes, hanging from the CN Tower would suck. So, it, yeah, yeah, it was pre- it was pretty amazing. I'm like, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of people that have done it, but nobody has really done it kind of this way in well, terms of the structure of what a team book usually usually does. So, it's really cool. And like you're you're going to be learning about the characters, I guess in flashback as you go along, mm-hmm. I guess, as they figure out this big conundrum that they're having yeah. Yeah. Uh, right in their first uh, adventure. Right? I had a few people advise me to do the opposite, which was not to jump around and not to, you know, play with the timeline. And, and uh, uh, you know, what's funny is I can be stubborn and I'm guilty of not listening to good advice sometimes in life. Um, so I, t- I definitely rolled the dice here and stuck with my guns. But uh, there was there was a lot of years of not only just reading comic books, decades of comic books, because I'm like 42 years old now, but also um, studying film and uh, writing like looking at every film that I was ingesting through a very critical analytical eye, but also writing them is at every chance I could the I've spent countless hours, I think the 10,000 hour rule of like, it takes this long to get good at something. Uh, it's not easy to get a film made no matter how good a writer you are, but I definitely have logged in those 10,000 hours. Uh, I've been writing since about the year 2000, I guess. And uh, it, for me, it was in my personal evolution, it was a good time to jump into the fray and and uh, take my first crack at this. And I'm glad that it went that way. It was a long way around to a return to my first love. So every step had its purpose. And with Kalman as your advisor, like given that you're jumping into the Canadian uh, superhero genre, like he is doing Captain Canuck right now. He's doing the revival for Chapter House. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure uh, given that he, you know, was doing the new revival of Captain Canuck and like right at a time when, you know, Canadian heroes are coming back, uh, you got a lot of, uh, great insight and advice from him, right? Well, you know, what's funny is that, uh, I would go to the boys at Raid in their studio right. and, uh, and there's not one of them there that I haven't enjoyed the company of, uh, over the years and who've been so welcoming and very supportive, uh, in reviewing, you know, what I was up to. And I was drawing this, uh, the first three issues were drawn over years. So when I would come in, they would always take the time to look at what I was doing and advise in that sense. Uh, I kept the story to myself for the most part. Uh, there was only that one time that I bounced that early idea off Calman. Calman right now is has done beautiful work, like, mm. uh, and now he's he's really finding his uh, his stride with the writing as well. So I can't speak too long on what he's up to because he'd be better at it than me. But uh, I know that they've got a uh, the kind of rekindling or the revisiting of a an old classic, and it seems like they've put a, a, a beautiful aesthetic spin on it. You know, the storytelling is uh, uh, a result of a or the product of a different time as mm. it should be decades later. Let's say he's, he's definitely one of the trailblazers at this point. Right. So I'm one of the ones that can come along afterwards and say, well, you know, like thanks for opening people's eyes to the fact that Canadian comic books can be pretty cool. And, uh, here's something different. Right. How do you feel about coming up in a time when there's a lot of Canadian comics out there, a lot more than there have been in the past. Like we have, we have the North Guard, we have a lot of independents doing Canadian heroes. We've got the big nickel out of, out of Sudbury. We've got, uh, you know, and like North Guard and Captain Canuck. And then there's like other people that are doing some stuff like Marvin Law is doing, is doing a Canadian mm-hmm. hero and things like that. So how do you feel about being like a part of that now there seems to be a whole group of people uh going into the canadian hero uh, space i guess 
it's good bad um okay. you know for for example uh, i realized like for me as i in the early stages i had some really bad names for this this comic book and uh, one of them was like generation something i don't even remember and i just i it's not my talent necessarily is figuring out names but there was something something that was all kind of encompassing with the concept that i was trying to tell in the word north because it truly is a story about something that is largely an american phenomenon happening in Canada, you know, even the industry itself, like I wanted it to be kind of a tongue in cheek reflection of the industry, because as Canadian kids, we grew up on mostly American product and our understanding of that mythology. Most of it, if not uh, like percentage wise, almost all of it came from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, now we've got a lot of people that are saying, hey, like there's a whole thing here that needs to be filled, the need for something homegrown. And, uh, and that's patriotic and exciting and cool. But it's got, it's got to have substance too. So it's really on the the writers of these concepts to uh, acknowledge, I guess, the leaps and bounds that have been made in the medium over the years. It's tough. It's one thing to sit down and say, I'm going to write something. It's another to be good at writing. And, uh, um, you know, when I put my stuff out there, I know that it's going to please some and, and piss off others and not, you know, maybe disappoint somebody. And I mean, I, I did the best I could and that's all they can, that's all they can do as well. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I hope that it's not just, well, put it this way. I was, I was sorry, I almost dropped this point. The, the title North for me was like, it kind of embodied what I was trying to do. And I realized afterwards that North pops up in almost every second title uh, in Canadian comics. So some version of the word North, North, this, North, that, North, you know, it's, it's being uh, used. So, I mean, I'm still very glad to count myself among uh, this community it's a shame that we <laughs> haven't thought of more names for our books because there's a lot of North going on out there. Right. You kind of uh, have to be more careful now, like that you're not stepping on somebody's toes. Well, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I never, it hasn't come to me yet, but there may be somebody out there that's like, really, dude? Like, <laughs> we already had this. <laughs> so, also, there was a comic book that doesn't exist, I don't think yet. But we, uh, right around, it was before the Kickstarter, we found out that there was, uh, or was it after the Kickstarter? There was uh, an article that a friend of mine forwarded me, and it was about a, an actor who played Creed. Uh, or sorry, played Apollo's son in oh, the yeah, movie yeah, Creed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he and some friends or, or um, some peers were looking to get a graphic novel made that might then serve as a stepping stone towards the development of this film oh so like michael North. michael b jordan really yeah and 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 it was absolutely not at all related there was nothing superhero ish it was about an agent a secret agent or something like that so when i got word on it of course your your gut reaction is oh god oh no like right. this you know what are we gonna do and there goes the name and i love that name and then i just realized i was like well you know, I mean, who knows what could happen in the future? But all I know is, is that I've been on this path for, you know, six and a half years. And I'll be damned if I'm going to change the name of this book that I love to because something might happen. Right. So what we're going to do is do the best damn book we can and be as established as possible and, you know, and uh, expect uh, nothing bad. So you mentioned that the name really embodies like what you're trying to do. How does it do that? You should put me right in the right to the test. I love it. Um, uh, so. It is not the name of any one of the characters. It's the name of the place it happens, the experience, um, where it happens in relation to the place that it always happens, which is self. It's the opposite side of the border on which everything transpires that matters in superhero lore. So, And it also kind of dares to say that this is what it would look like happening here. So I don't know how many people... Uh, I mean, I, I grew up in Sudbury again, so... Northern Ontario is my kind of stomping grounds, but I'm familiar with, I, we're still in the North. It's just a geographical factor. It's, it's, you know, Southern Ontario, whatever. We're still pretty North by uh, comparison. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope that, uh, that it, uh, has the impact. It, it's, it's also from a branding standpoint, I've kind of always liked it. So that's why I was, I dug in my heels. I'm like, we're not changing this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, I wanted to like wind it back a little bit and get a sense of your history prior to North. Mm -hmm. You grew up in Sudbury. How did you uh, get into comics in the first place? 
let's see. Well, I know that the the hook was set very early on. I think I mentioned this to a friend before. Uh, the Spidey cartoon, uh, the 1960s one. I grew up with that, just completely sold on every aspect of it. But that wasn't comics. I think I was a little young at that point to uh, to dig into comic books. Archie was a gateway. Others just came around. There was always uh, at the local pharmacy. There was a little spinner rack. And that was where I would, you know, if I was with one of my parents, I would always beg them for that one or if I'm lucky two comic books. Uh, so they came to me infrequently, but I was always thrilled to have them. And then uh, a friend of mine, uh, I used to go to sleepovers uh, every once in a while at his house and one of his older brothers had a huge collection. So uh, we would sit in our cots or our sleeping bags and just read comics till our eyes burned. <laughs> nice. You know, I'm still friends with that guy to this day. And he was even a big uh, donor for the uh, campaign. He's a sweetheart and a great old friend. So yeah, it's, uh, it's always been there. And growing up through the uh, decades, I've got to watch it evolve and grow. And it's been uh, a pleasure. And, uh, you know, you can uh, try and take what you can and, and not, not to copy, but rather to, to acknowledge that there's been such advancements in it and not to um, underperform and uh, understand that people have set the bar already. So aim as high as you can. And Does Sudbury have a comics community? Do they like, do they have a, do they have a comic shop or anything? I have a message on my phone right now from a guy that runs the uh, Sudbury graphic con and Uh uh, I'll be uh, there in June with them. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they, yeah, I I haven't had the pleasure of being there yet while it was happening, but I'm uh, curious to see uh, what it's all about. And I'm glad to hear that they, uh, they are, you know, because uh, I would think that in any town, any city, there's going to be a pocket of people that just uh, love this stuff as much as we do. So, you know, Sudbury's not as small as you might think. Yeah, I've been there, but like you, you don't immediately think of comics. You think of like mining and industry and things like that, right? So they they have Comics North, which is a store that was the only store. Uh, A couple of them popped up over the years, but none of them survived. Um, Comics North remains, and it's been there for thirty some years now. Is that where you shopped when you were a kid? Eventually, oh yeah, that was when my graduation from the spinner rack at the pharmacy. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic to walk in there, and uh, I was still at that age where I was getting my mom to drive me on Saturdays when I could and uh, just that just the smell and the look it was not in hindsight there was nothing um, fancy or or done up it was a simple place and it just but it held everything that I loved and you know and girls weren't a thing yet and God life was simpler <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah nice did you were you like a bag and border were you like a big like collector and preserver type person uh you know what I I was always uh I think they were precious things. Right. Uh, now, for me, it's more about the reading. If I couldn't enjoy a book, then I wanted nothing to do with it. So it really wouldn't matter about the projections about what this might be worth someday. Guilty of picking up a few number ones just for the sake of, sure. But uh, for the most part, I was a reader and, and remain. I think my collection would be uh, underwhelming in terms of its value. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, so that was cool. So like you get, you get into comics, you sort of, you know, really like it. Like what were your, some of your favorite characters and storylines that you were into? Oh man. Uh, well, Marvel was always my thing. So just to like start right there, that was DC never spoke to me. I think that I appreciated the design and the, the flair uh, as a kid, it's pretty hard not to like Batman and like Superman. I still like Batman, and, but you know what I like is good writing. So, right. uh, if, and when the right uh, writer ends up on the right character or the right book, then, you know, you've got yourself uh, a good book, hopefully. Um, but for me, Spidey was the quintessential, uh, guy. I don't know. Well, I think from a formulaic standpoint, I think that they really nailed it with him um, because they made someone that was far from the toughest, but never gave up. Right. But carried with him some guilt uh, for something that he did as a kid, which too many of us probably would have done, you know, Mm -hmm. because we weren't yet the person with that, you know, just grappling with something fantastic and not truly understanding, uh, I guess, all the consequences of things. And then, uh, yeah, and just, and and humorous, you know, whether he was on top or getting his butt kicked, he was just full of goodwill and, and good jokes and, uh, and was tremendous. I remember him fighting characters that he had no business going up against, and yet he just wouldn't quit, you know, and I just, there was something fantastic about him and remains. So even if the writers aren't necessarily doing him a lot of justice, uh, in any particular era, I always have a, a long-standing love for him. So the thing I loved about Spidey, especially in like the earlier issues, if you go back, is they always set up 
these dilemmas where he had like 50 million chores to do <laughs> he had to go to school and then he also had to like fight a villain mm-hmm. and he had to get it all done by a certain amount of time and he could never do it but then somehow he he does yeah. it right oh yeah and and he was when it came to dc versus marvel i think that you know dc was probably more so the pioneer and then Stanley and his team were probably like, okay, well, what do, how are we going to do this, but better? You know, mm-hmm. and they really did break down their characters and, and bring them down to a level that you can appreciate. So DC is gods mm-hmm. and uh, Marvel is heroes for me. Yeah. yeah. And that, that teenage angst and anxiety is something that you, that you really can't beat as far as, as far as Spider-Man is concerned. Oh yeah. No, I like, um, uh, I, I've personally, I'm all played out with the Spider-Man movies right now. Right. Uh, I was, I thought Sam Raimi's first two films were wonderful and I have not enjoyed anything since, um, mostly, uh, unfortunately it's not that character that's to blame. Of course, it's just the writing and the filmmaking that I struggle with. Um, and I know that that's not the, the, uh, uh, the only view on the films, but that is how I felt about it. And I'm anxious to see not another Spider-Man film, but I am anxious to see what they do, like taking the character back to such a young age. Yeah. You know, are uh, you hopeful now that it's in Marvel hands and we got to see a little bit about what their Spider-Man looks like in Marvel Civil War? Um, I'm a Marvel boy, so we'll, you know, I will see that film, but, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I think the, the expectation for me is low just because I've kind of been <laughs> just disappointed enough okay. and we'll see. And, and here's the thing is that, you know, you can like right now, I don't care what happens with Batman after Nolan. I'm like, Hey, it's been done. It was fantastic. Uh, it may never be like that again. And that's, that's fine, you know, and let people strive to do better and let people, uh, tell their own version of the story. But. Yeah, so, so we'll see what happens with, uh, obviously, Marvel's inclusion in the production is going to be, uh, probably lead to far better things than it would have with a, another one from uh, from the other studio. But Yeah, it seems like it's already starting to, like, he's, you know, he's actually from Queens, he's actually the, the age that that he was when the com- when the comic started and mm-hmm. you know it's it, he, they're already interpreting it in a very like fresh but more true to the source material than it's ever been mm-hmm. before so it's pretty cool i wanted to talk to you about how you got into maybe doing comics and uh you know, how did you learn like your, your drawing skills and your writing skills and those sorts of things? So how do you go from like a fan to somebody who wants to, to want, wants to do this? So I spent from kindergarten all the way up through college and university, not caring about school. And yet I did it. Uh, and I think that I had a very limited view and I didn't grow up in Toronto, so I didn't see other people making a living at things that I loved. I, so I was heading down a more practical path. And uh, by the time it was done, it had, I realized that there was a degree of kind of betrayal to myself. Uh, what were you thinking you were going to do? Be a police officer. Okay. Yeah. And I would have been a good police officer and I'm a guard now. I've been a, been a security guard now in bars for the last 20 years. And, um, <laughs> you just look down and go, really? You're skinny white boy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's something that I've gotten very good at. And I realized that there are some elements of handling people in situations that, uh, you know, I would have, I would have made a good police officer, but it wouldn't have made me happy because ultimately I'm an artist, I'm a storyteller. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not being me. So I abandoned that path and moved to Toronto on a whim to share a home with uh, a buddy of mine and some friends. And got into some, I don't know, I met some comic book people, but it wasn't really a positive experience for me. And then uh, it kind of, I, I got a little romanced by film and uh, I really, I was taking acting classes uh, in Sudbury as well. And then I took some here and then I kind of, it's storytelling. It's just another angle. And it's, it was a lot of fun. It was wonderful. I still love filmmaking, but I had veered quite far off the path of, you know, thinking I was going to be a comic book illustrator, but art was always part of the adventure and conceptual artwork. Storyboarding was uh, key in developing my storytelling abilities through panels and such. And so it was just that thing that was always there. And it was underdeveloped by comparison to some of the boys we've talked about today, like the guys from the studios. And so these guys have put in just like, they have focused on that for the last 20 some years and they are awesome at what they do. And that's great. I'm, you know, further behind in the race but the, at the same time uh stubbornness and tenacity plays a role as well i started this story 
seven or more years ago, I think. And it was something that it was I was doing just out of love of the genre. It wasn't a priority. It wasn't uh, something, you know, I had sketches that I had drawn in my spare time of characters and some of them, you know, led to storylines. And when I came here in 99, I was an artist and not a writer. And then by the time I started writing North, I was probably a good nine, 10 years into my writing. And then at that point, you know, I had just gotten better at it. And uh, you know, I think that it's in some cases, it's all in the doing. Um, some people will do their first comic book when they're kids and uh, some of them will do it when they're uh, they haven't developed their skills yet. And you'll know them when you read them, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing wrong with that because it's art. And ultimately, there's room for everyone's in the world. I hope that uh, when people pick up this book. They're surprised, pleasantly surprised, I hope. Would you say that you're like self-taught? Like, Very much so, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I'll tell you why. And I don't even know if she's still around, but uh, I had an art teacher in high school. Who, and that was the only art that I ever took in, in, in a classroom setting. And uh, she was, boy, she was something. She would tell people in our classroom, myself and a few others, who were always veering more towards the comic book style of things, that that comic book art was not real art. She actually said that. And it was amazing the liberties taken by people in positions of influence. And uh, yeah, that that stuck with me. Um, and of course, I did terribly in art class because I think I was a you know stubborn kid and I just didn't want to be painting vases and flowers and countrysides and animals and stuff. And some of my friends were fantastic at that and are probably better artists than me. So yeah, I never really studied for art. And sometimes I'm, I'm so aware and I wouldn't necessarily say I'm an authority, but I'm somewhat aware of where on the spectrum I sit in terms of ability with art. And I'm safely in the middle. <laughs> and I'm not the worst you've ever seen. I have some business doing this, but I couldn't hold a candle to some of the guys that you see in Artist Alley at the cons and some of the boys I've talked about in the uh, in this podcast. Uh, but it gets it done. And hopefully, uh, no, I've got a great colorist on this book who uh, he's just fantastic and uh, makes my stuff look better than it is. And uh, and I'm learning as I go. There's a, a little bit in the foreword about um, kind of it's a learning process. And forgive me that because you know, I'm not the guy that's been at it for 20 years, you know, uh, but hopefully uh, maybe there's something to be enjoyed about some, watching someone kind of evolve. I don't know. So what made you take the leap seven years ago? Like, like it, it sounds it like you had a leap. lot of things. Just love. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a leap. It okay. was just uh, something to do when I, I wasn't, I didn't carry the responsibilities that I do now. Like now I work six nights a week because I have financially have no choice and I have a daughter and uh, you know, and that's, uh, that ain't cheap. <laughs> yeah. She's wonderful. Uh, I wouldn't change a thing, but uh, I would probably... In my day, in my daydreams, I certainly have more money kicking around, but so it wasn't a leap. It was just uh, out of love and uh, needing to tell a story. And that's the thing that um, you deny yourself. If you are an artist, a musician, painter, doesn't matter. You're chef. You know, if you love something and you're not doing it, there's an absence in your life and uh, you're not being as true to yourself as you should. So yes, uh, f responsibilities do play a role in dictating how our weeks and our days look, but there is something that if you deny yourself your expression artistically, then, you know, you're probably not in the best of your days. What was it about the superhero genre that spoke to you more than uh, other types of comics? That's a good question, actually. I'm not entirely sure. Let's let's uh, let's think about that. Um, and you can edit all my and, 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 I, and, I, and I ask because I wonder if people just do superhero comics because when you read comics, you sort of fall into the superhero thing, mm -hmm. or if it's like a conscious choice, and then and they they really connect to it or if it's some of both i think that a lot of people regardless of how they what they lean towards whether it be art or comics or film or sports did i say sports all right <laughs> my brother's big into sports so his heroes weren't superheroes his heroes were athletes mm -hmm. as were and it was that way for a lot of my friends but i think that we look for people that we can label hero and that's a loose term because you know some of them are just fantastic athletes so some of them embody the characteristics 
things we would want to see in ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we idolize people. And uh, if we're, you know, unfortunately these days, <laughs> it's uh, my old man coming out. There's a lot of people who are in incredibly influential positions who are just lacking in character to such a degree that it's just downright alarming. So, um, you know, here we are reading about characters. I was always, I guess, looking for someone to look up to. Right. You know, and, and it's not that life didn't provide me with things like that, but there was just this complete like escapism. I grew up loving story and I also grew up in the woods with not a lot of kids around. My brother and I were kind of just, it was just us for the most part. So, uh, you know, the escapism and the, uh, someone has called comic books like morality plays. They truly and constantly tackle good versus evil. And uh, all the grays in between, if it's if it's written well. So, um, you know, I, I had a lot of fun taking all the things that I love about comics and trying to like ref- like filter it and f- take what are the gems and like find a way to tell a new version of of those things that made you love it so much. So, like I said earlier, I'm glad that I waited until I was as old. I was in my mid late thirties before I started writing this, and I'm you know uh, sitting on issue one, uh, completing issue two right now, and you know I'm going to be forty two. So. You know, it's uh, it was good timing for this book to be to have its best shot. I'm glad that I waited until I was older. Cool. There's some context in the world. And comics are generally thought of as like a, a like we were saying before, a very American thing mm-hmm. with American values and sort of one man, you know, conquering evil type of thing. So how would you define Canadian values through the prism of the superhero? Like what makes a Canadian superhero different than an American superhero? Interesting. So (laughs) I just realized I should start every sentence with that. Interesting. I, you know, to be honest, my, my knee jerk reaction to that question is I didn't fall into the trap of trying to. Define it. Uh, Because I think that that is um, a bit of a problem. Um, I, I, again, and it's not many conversations about North that I don't refer to film. So you'll forgive me with that. But it's something that I've kind of loved for so long. In looking at and analyzing what's wrong with Canadian film and so many of them, uh, it's writers that fall into that trap. And they try to define something that is undefinable. I don't know if this is going to come out intelligent or not, but I'll risk it. I've never tried to freehand draw a maple leaf. Yeah, it's kind of tough. It's painful as hell. You can't do it. I've tried. It's it's awful. Uh, maybe there are better artists out there that are just, you know, have a better grasp on that translation from mine to uh, <laughs> to, to paper. But uh, and, I, and I, f- I found that ironic because uh, here is. That that object alone is so hard to kind of try and recreate. And then you've got all these writers that are trying to say, how do I recreate or how do I define what is the epitome of Canada? And they I watch them stumble all over themselves and and uh, jeopardize their story and their greater responsibilities, which is to entertain because nobody cares. Let me revise that statement. People do care. But what they want without maybe knowing what it is that they want as they walk out of the, the, the next disappointing Canadian film that they've just burned two hours on and let's feel dead inside. <laughs> Some of them are great. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give my nod to those later. But um, tell a great story with great characters. I said this earlier right. in Canada and you've just contributed to the Canadian artistic landscape. Like you've 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 made a difference because people know what it's like to be people they don't know what it's like to be quote-unquote canadian right and the next person who's next to them whose life looks nothing like theirs may or may not have a few things in common but it's not going to be probably like the canadian thing oh my god you drink tim hortons oh my god me too you know no it's it's like what struggles did you have today you know what did your family go through to be here what did you go through in your youth what are you going through now like, what are the things that connect us as human beings what, is the, what are the common threads mm-hmm. and you realize that we don't walk around day to day worrying about patriotism we worry about our next our bills and our family and our, our dreams and our pressures you know so if you find a way to set a great you know tell a story a great human story base it in Canada you've told a good Canadian story and you didn't even have to get into the flag waving. You didn't go through the uh, the fool's errand of trying to like make the quintessential Canadian thing. So just a long way around to your, your question. I don't know that a good man or woman in Canada is much different from a good man or woman anywhere else in the world. So, uh, you know, and if the heroes are what you look up to or the flawed ones are what you look up to or the anti-heroes, you know, these are personality traits that are not uh, specific to any culture. 
you know, a, a hero can come from anywhere, you know, be any color, be, you know, virtues are not specific to any, any one country or culture. You're listening to Speech Bubble. We'll be right back. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Go visit them at 6979 Young Street for their games nights. They've got Warhammer, they've got Star Wars miniatures, they've got Dungeons and Dragons, and they have board games nights. Go to harryt.com for the schedule and enjoy some serious gaming. When I opened this book, you know, I was expecting a little more overt Canadiana, and I was pleasantly surprised that these characters are very unique, and, and, and they're not what you would typically see as part of a superhero team. So I wonder uh, how you arrived at the decision to include the characters you included, and like you know, what their powers would be, and who and who they would be. How did that uh, come to you? Uh, well, I guess I got to answer that in two parts. Um, the first one being, a lot of my characters were uh, drawn before they really had their stories. But it's funny because when you're a storyteller and you're drawing, you may not be putting it in script format, but you are. Uh, there are ideas floating around in your head, and then they just it just just like a storm it just it just takes over and then the next thing you know you're you've got a whole concept with this person and casey the one of the main characters in this that sets this all in motion uh the girl the daughter of the fallen hero from way a long time ago in the 80s she's someone who was a drawing and then the werewolf was a drawing and then the little girl with the blanket was a drawing and and then suddenly it was okay there's this girl and then we've got generations that would be kind of neat and then she's trying to do it but she's really sloppy at it but you know she wants to be like her dad but her dad was unbeatable he was just in, incredible in all ways he's a hero he's a national hero so how do you even follow in those footsteps and then you know the robot was another one and then i just i don't know like it, it, there's a freedom in it and not all characters that you draw or design are going to play a part. But, you know, uh, this guy, Adenak, the guy whose kind of suit is fashioned after the Canadian flag. This is a guy who I drew in 98 before I'd written anything. Wow. Like, yeah, it was it was one of those things where it's like, well, if I was doing a new Captain Canuck, quote unquote. This you know, is what it would look like. Yeah. Like, how would I do that? Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, and that was a something that just sat and in a file for the longest time. So when you realize that. It's not necessarily like the opportunity in writing a team book, of course, is that it's not all on one person, right. you know, and as a writer, you're not limited to telling just the story of that one person. Uh, so this has been um, a treat to take on all these characters and find the opportunity in a storyline that actually pulls them all in together. And I, I think it's kind of interesting because if you're going back to your artistic past for like who the members of these teams are going to be the most exciting thing is trying to figure out how they connect story-wise, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. There's something that happens, and uh, it's going to sound really airy-fairy to people who don't write, <laughs> uh, so forgive me this, but um, you, I've heard it described as though you're almost channeling something, like a story already exists, but it's literally just finding its way out through you. When, when the creative juices are flowing, there is a puzzle in front of you that needs to be filled and assembled and it just once once you get rolling you just see opportunities that's why this thing went from like a little idea to a 13 issue story arc for volume one and i've even got volume two already planned out in my mind with a lot of writing done and number three is already taking shape so you know we should be so lucky to enjoy you know that kind of an adventure that lasts but yeah it's it's really i mean this the writing of it all these different characters provided so many opportunities and they started to take shape in front of me and 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 then it just became uh, like writing about friends it's weird but you you just come to know your characters so much and you know what they're going to say and you know where the opportunities lie and you see where the conflict the opportunities for conflict are between them and uh yeah it, it's fun i had a great time writing this that's awesome i do want to talk about the art in this book because we mentioned the colorist before and i mean looking at this book in full color it has sort of a 
a painted quality to it a yeah. little bit. In terms of who you were looking to collaborate with, can you introduce the listeners to who these people are and how you found them and how they how they came to you? Sure. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. So there was a choice made, which was more practical than anything. Um, I'm not a great inker. So this is pencils and then there's color, digital color put on top of it. So if you're wondering how it looks the way it looks, it's because uh, ink was not at any part. It was not part of it at any point. Um, And it's it's a choice. You know, I tried to do pencils as heavy as I could in some cases, but uh, for the most part, um, what you see is the freedom that a painter has working over without the the hard line restrictions of, of ink. Right. His name is Falk. He's amazing. He's based out of Germany. And I found him on Gutter Zombie, which is a workboard, I guess, for artists in the industry. And uh, I had looked at a few people's stuff and none of it was quite what I was looking for. And then when I found him, he offered to do a test page and I, my mind was blown. I was like, that's sold. <laughs> what were you looking for? Did you I wanted to be wild. Like I wanted to look at something that I did and go, oh my God. And, and for him, that was, you know, that was it. That was my response. I couldn't believe the good fortune in finding him. And I thought that he was uh, going to be a long established industry pro. And funny enough, some of his sample work uh, that he put up, I thought that he was the guy that did the colors for Jay Lee because he had used some samples, I guess, and put his colors on them. So I was like, oh my God. I can't believe this guy's even available. Well, he wasn't. It's not the same guy, but he's just really damn good at what he does. And uh, he's been such a, uh, he take, he's so patient with me. This is my first go. So uh, sometimes I don't know what I'm looking for until I've seen something that I'm not. And then I have to hit him with notes. And, and for him, it's really not about this is wrong. It's more about like opportunities. So it's like an art direction kind of position that I'm in now where my pencils are sent to a colorist who's just all too happy to, you know, take the notes that I make on his stuff and we'll do two, three passes sometimes on pages. And sometimes if we're not so lucky, we have to struggle to, you know, like get the right look for a character. Uh, and it's worth it in the early stages because this is hopefully going to be around for a while. So who is Andrew Thomas and the legend <laughs> Andrew Thomas? Have you met him yet? No. Oh, he's awesome. Um, he's one of the, uh, he's one of the team on uh, Oric. Okay. Um, oh, the of, of the, the north. Great White north. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The north again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, he's the uh, artist, and he's he's awesome. Um, and he's also uh, you know the letterer uh, for this book. Okay, and he 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 has literally held my hand. You know, you don't understand the importance of uh, team until you've fallen into the right company. In film, that was my experience. So it was like you surround yourself with the right people, you can get amazing things done. And I've been lucky in that sense. We got a feature film made with a really incredible team of people. And uh, here I am now with my first foray into comics. And uh, these guys are fantastic. They're holding my hand every step of the way. I try not to make it too painful for them. Uh, And he's actually a few steps ahead of me in getting a book out into the world. And all the, you know, taking the files and making them, uh, preparing them for print and stuff like that. So, and even to the point where he's driven me to or and from the print shop to pick up books on the first day of our launch. Like it was hectic. Yeah, he's, he's tremendous and he makes everything look, hopefully, like I said, I want people to open this book and be pleasantly surprised. Indie comic from Canada may or may not inspire confidence but you know hopefully when they open the book they this comic was unique in another way because before i ever met you before i ever heard what north was i saw a poster at the silver snail as, oh, yeah. I, as I walked in those guys are amazing and They've i was such like a big help. how do i know like what what is this comic and then i started seeing your comic other places around toronto mm-hmm. and the same poster other places and i i thought for a second that it was like a big company independent company launch for a sec and i'm like what is this so tell me a little bit about the marketing for this book because i thought your book was huge uh before like <laughs> and i'm like i gotta i gotta i gotta read this because yeah well, i'm surprised you haven't see- kicked me out yet i kept seeing i kept seeing 
you, your stuff and, and that kind of thing. And then I, and then I heard that it was smaller and I'm like, wow, like that's amazing. He got such an amazing response. Was it the from, Kickstarter from the poster that you saw? Yeah. I, I, it was the cover, basically the cover. I guess it was maybe the Kickstarter poster. I can't, well, you know what? There, we did use the cover on at least one of the Kickstarter posters yeah. and because we had hit our target in eight days and then realized, oh my gosh, we've got uh, another month and a half at least to go. Uh, so we need to make the most of this. So we, the posters came out and honestly, we are so small. <laughs> We're tiny. And, and, you know, even like, I, I won't miss an opportunity to, to try and like even chatting with you. It's a pleasure and, and an opportunity, you know, because right now we are so small and we just got actually, I'm interrupting one thought for another. We just got news from Comixology yesterday. So we're going to be carried on Comixology. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh crazy news. I had a less than spectacular day that ended, uh, uh, in a better way than I could have guessed. That's awesome. So listeners to the podcast, like all over the world can get this comic in digital soon, format. Soon. They actually just gave me the word yesterday that it's been accepted. So now what they're going to do is they're going to uh, use their technology and create the, uh, or use, what's it called? Guided view technology oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to actually make it more of a visual uh, experience. And I'm, gl- I'm glad because I'm going to learn something there as well and see what North can actually be turned into when in the right hands on a digital platform. Uh, and also, you know, again, like we are carried right now in like 10 stores in Toronto, maybe 11. Uh, and they're all doing their part and, you know, and, uh, usually on consignment. Uh, and, but we are just, we're tiny, like, you know, marketing, we can't afford like right now, the big trouble is, is that we have, uh, issue number two, that's nearing completion and we don't have a print budget yet. Right. You're doing your Kickstarter for issue two, aren't you soon? Uh, so sorry, just to backtrack the Kickstarter raised 178% of its target. So number one was taken care of. We raised 80, like give or take 80% of the budget for the second issue, which means that we can digitally produce it. We can pay the colorist to do his pages. We can pay the letterer, but we have fallen short. Uh, and there's so many expenses along the way as well. So some of them couldn't be ignored. Like we have a website right now and to pay people to do that and stuff was not cheap at yeah. all. Well, I mean, we had favors done, but then we had other needs and it just, it, it builds up. Yeah. So here we are now with, uh, you know, not enough money to do a physical print with this incredible news from Comixology. So, you know, I want to make sure that all the people that have a physical copy of number one get the chance to have number two because... You know, maybe, well, why shouldn't they? Yeah. You know, but then the answer is, is because we're small <laughs> yeah. and, um, you know, I'll find a way to get it done. But, uh, you know, Comixology will hopefully help uh, get this book out into the world in a way that I can't afford to with the kind of marketing. And, uh, you know, locally, we can try and make as big a splash as we can. So I'm glad to hear that people on the home front are, are you know, seeing it in different places that that's encouraging. And I'm, I'm told that we're doing well in terms of sales for a uh, an indie comic, which is great, but it's still not enough to raise the money that we need in the speed at which we'd like to have it, uh, to have this book coming out with any frequency. So for now, it's going to be scratching and, and clawing our every inch. Okay. So. so the plan now is like, first issue is print. Other issues are digital until you find the money to to print them, right? Yeah. And, you know, we've got some donors who have expressed uh, a willingness to help out in the long term as well. And that's great. There's the Kickstarter thing, which, you know, we did well the first time we could do another one. But I... I have some ethical issues with repetitive Kickstarter things. I really don't know that you're business is a business if you're depending on your friends and family to make it look like a business. Like, I need to find... Goodwill aside, I mean, that's always great. And if you have it, that's wonderful. But don't make it a regular thing where you're looking to people to kind of pay you to do what you love. Yeah, I guess the idea of Kickstarter is you're kickstarting your business. And the hope is that you'll have enough in sales or whatever to... you know, perpetuate the rest of what you want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I know I've got a, an, uh, some form of an ACE card that I can probably look to at some point with some of these people who have been so generous so far. Uh, I didn't think uh, we would need to do that at such an early stage. And I don't, so I don't know, I'm processing all of this right now. And uh, mm-hmm. even everything is happening more slowly than you'd like it to, but I've come to realize that, you know, the instant gratification uh, nonsense was something that, uh, 
kind of tore at me for years when I was in film, you know, and you spend like thousands of dollars on a short film and you're like, and next week I'll be a star, (laughs) you know, and and I'm going to get this. I spent 20 grand or 25 grand on a short film that had like Scott Thompson from kids in the hall and Jerry Hall from, um, uh, this hour has 22 minutes and wow. And yeah, it was a superhero concept called split city, which I might actually find a way to maybe someday releases a comic or intertwine and start building a little bit of a universe. And, uh, anyways, and then, you know, you've just spent 25 grand and your life hasn't changed at all. And the series that you're trying to get made, I spent years shopping a superhero concept around Canada and it was, there's just no way. It's like a TV series. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I still, I mean, I'm rereading it right now just to make sure that it actually had some merit to it. Based on the split city short film or different. it, It did evolve. I mean, we went to, camera way too early with that concept in my opinion uh so it was in me underdeveloped as a writer of course it made perfect sense but you couldn't tell me that at that stage because i thought i knew what i was doing uh it evolved over time and there was uh we had a wonderful producer that optioned it and had it for a year and a half and he was trying his best through his means and his channels to get it made and we had a couple of production companies that were excited about it but it just we couldn't find people that would take the risk and you know i mean Right now, Letterkenny is something that's blowing up huge and, and it's doing well. Which but, I nobody mean, I, expected. Like, but it's probably all. very affordable. And I think yeah. people think superhero and they're like, oh, God, like we, we can't do that. You We're doing like special one. effects and stuff. Well, you know what? I wrote something that was very, uh, I hesitate to use the term organic <laughs> and, uh, and as such affordable. And yet, you know, nobody, I mean, it's so funny. All the strings of rejections that we got and all the common threads. And, and it was always about it's like fear-based thinking. It's like, who's, well, wait a second. This, this guy's got like a split personality disorder. Ah, it's been done. Uh, Oh, superheroes. Well, that's being done. Uh, Smallville. Yeah. But that was Superman. That was a success, but that was Superman. And then it was, Oh, well, heroes is being done. So I don't know. Let's wait and see what happens with that. And then of course heroes goes really big, but then it's like, Oh, well, it's already been done. (laughs) So it just, no matter where you went, it was just, we can't do this. We, you know, we don't want to. And then they go for something that's just a lot safer. Well, and heroes wasn't the best example because it got really big in the first season, but then it, totally petered out in like the second season so they could always rely on that as their excuse they could be like oh yeah heroes was great for a second but then it but then it totally bombed in in the second seasons yeah. and the subsequent seasons yeah i remember trying to watch parts of second season oh, yeah. oh this is awful <laughs> exactly but uh and there was a writer strike right around that time too i think that may have had something to do with it probably so yeah. they were uh I think they had the janitors working on the scripts or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh God, someone's going to hear this. Someday. Yeah. I think they did lose a lot of their talent that they had in the first season, you know, in subsequent seasons, but whatever. But yeah, I mean, like if you're like, what about heroes? Like I could imagine that that's probably not the best. We well, you know what rubs, me the, what rubs me the wrong way, I guess, uh, what irritates me about that is that now years later, I mean, it was early two thousands when I shot that short film, I think. Right. And here we are years and years later and, you know, America has produced more than we can remember concepts right. about superheroes and, and, uh, and they've found a way to kind of acknowledge the fact that there's a huge market for this, you know, and, uh, but no, no, not here, you know, and Mutant X was the only attempt I think on, on uh, home soil that got made. I don't know if you remember that, but what was Mutant X? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that was in, like, the 90s. I, well, like, 90s, really, early 2000s. Really, yeah. really... It was really good. It was back when, on Saturdays, you'd get, like, these syndicated TV shows mm-hmm. that were sort of sci-fi, fantasy. Back when, like, Xena, Warrior Princess, and, like, Hercules oh, yeah. were still kind of popular. You'd get these small you know canadian made sci-fi superhero mm-hmm. things like like stargate sg1 yeah. was a big one mm-hmm. they all sort of came from the same cloth a little bit yeah you know it, it, it's i mean expense is not something you can just ignore you can't say i would i'd love to make this but wow like we just can't and i think at the end of the day the bottom line the money that's not kicking around Canada is is what stopped Split City from being made. And I don't know at this point if it will ever be made and have kind of like moved on from it emotionally, but it certainly sits there as a a fairly well-developed concept that uh, collects dust. And uh, can anybody see this? uh, You know what? To be honest, (laughs) I would never show anybody the first 
version of it okay. um, for the simple reason that it so grossly misrepresents what it's become. Um, it, it turns out it was the early stages of something that for what it was, was okay. And I, and I, I, I know that I, there's a, a buddy of mine who directed this. I haven't talked to him for a while. He did a good job, but like this, what was flawed about it was my fault. It wasn't his fault. I wrote the damn thing and right. it was flawed from the core. Like it was just not what it could have, what it should have been. It was the whispers of something that could be great. And he did a great job with what he had and uh, dealing with me at that early stage. Oh my Lord. I, I hear I'm still difficult, but uh, imagine then. So yeah, it was, um, I don't show it to anybody. Cause I cry a little bit. <laughs> and you, you feel like you've definitely evolved since then. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and it's funny, you can't really rush that and you can't dictate the, the moments in life that are going to put you further ahead than you were. And it's really hard to see it when it's happening. It's always easier to look back. So mm-hmm. yeah. Artistic risks are always just that risks. Right. So, and I mean, you might have a good insight into this, like, you know, through your struggles, you know, trying to get films off the ground and TV series and that sort of thing. What have you come away with learning about the Canadian entertainment industry? Because, I mean, as a person who consumes American television and movies on a regular basis, I always find... Uh, the Canadian industry a little bit annoying and like frustrating and I've never really been able to like properly put my finger on why that is and it seems like oh, now yeah. you don't even know the rant you're inviting right, right now right. <laughs> and, and, and it seems like now only now are places like CBC doing some like really legit shows that like are actually really really good like Things that that I would watch not knowing that they're Canadian or in spite of them being Canadian. But whenever you put Canadian next to television show, it always elicits in some people a sort of, oh, Canadian, like Canadian sort of of reaction. Yeah, no, I know. What is your impression from the inside? Well, uh, here's the thing is that there's... Because I know we're, we're, we're limited with our time, yeah. um, I'll simplify what is a very kind of complex thing. And it took me a lot of years to understand. You're, you're frustrated and you're seeing something and you're seeing patterns. But the problem with Canadian film, storytelling, TV, whatever, is script. It's almost always script. You know, I can't attack. I mean, there might be some technical shortcomings here and there. There might be a look. There might be something that people take issue with. But ultimately, uh, you know, story is the or script is the big responsibility and on which every other department kind of is built. So it doesn't matter how good anyone else is or your actors or whatever. If the script sucks, you were done before you even went to camera, you were done in pre-production, you just didn't know it. Some knew it. I've handed a script to people that were so excited. And again, this is, it still didn't get made into a film because it's hard as hell to find all the resources to do that. But these were people who'd been in the industry for years. They're a couple. And uh, they were so excited about one of the last movie scripts that I'd written. And uh, they said, you wouldn't believe, because they make a living as uh, crew members. So they said, you would not believe the stuff we see go to camera. It's just incredible. And I guess I could start or, or restart by saying um, there's no quality control in the arts. And that's good, bad. That means all of us can be an artist. No one's going to stop us. But the problem of that is, is that no one's going to stop you. So if you're a person with the right connections, the right amount of money, the right network, and then suddenly you find yourself with the green light for something you've written, but you're not a writer. And Mm -hmm. you never were. You might be someday if you put that 10,000 hours into it. But what you've got is uh, a keyboard. And how hard could it be? You're now a writer. In your own mind, you're now a writer. I just filled 90 pages with script or 45 an episode or whatever. You know, so um, and then you're like, I'm ready to go. And then someone else might think, whoa, this is kind of rough. But, oh, that's the boss's kid or I don't want to piss this person off because they're my friend or whatever or this celebrity is behind it or yeah. whatever you know oh, whatever. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and what's the celebrity that wrote the damn thing yeah. you know so it's um 
it's it's flawed from a script level and and unfortunately we have a system that at no point everyone's got a script and everyone's script is the most important script they can think of you know not many people can go whoa whoa stop the press whose film is this and how soon can i do it now it's uh, every aspiring director coming up thinks they've got a script you know, mm. they've been, they studied a year or two in film school and they've got a script, mm. you know, and, and it, 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 it's disrespectful, uh, and sabotage at the same time, disrespectful to people who write, uh, it's sabotage to all the people and all the hours they're going to spend creating something that was flawed from the very beginning. So that's a sad state of affairs. Um, and it's not to say that it doesn't exist in any nation where films are being made, because I'm sure it does. And, and maybe it's just part of the reality where you like in order to enjoy those few good things you have to like suffer and dig through all the bad and you know again it's part of people's evolution so they're not villains right but they're part of the problem and i know this because i have been part of the problem (laughs) (laughs) there were stages in my development where i was absolutely that person that had no right thinking that well let's go to camera with this thing i'm ready yeah uh you know and and people but again to be a, a plumber a dentist, a doctor. How many professions do you actually have to go through stages where you won't be able to do this thing unless you actually have a certificate that says you can do these things? Right. You know, so in the arts, you make yourself a business card. It says Scott Sawyer, uh, producer, big time producer. Who's going to stop me? Who's going to tell me that I can't? Right. You know, uh, and if I go and I just got the right amount of bullshit uh, with the right amount of resources and a story, and the next thing you know, you've got mm-hmm. a film production that has no hope of actually becoming a great thing. So, you know, that's that was my realization. And uh, unfortunately, there's no solution yeah. to that. That That's a widespread thing that is uh, an industry flawed by design. When good things come of something like that, it truly is a rarity. And whatever the states have going on over there or other nations, let's hope they don't fall into that same trap of trying to define their culture. Cause I think that's, you know, people are looking for grant money here and they're scrambling around trying to like, we'll do that quintessential like Canadian thing. Uh, well, I mean the way that our industry is structured, it seems to encourage the Canadian thing because of the CanCon rules and things and things like that. Yeah. Right. Like you get grant money if you are uniquely Canadian and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, again, that's another part of the problem. Yeah. Right. So you're going to reward people for, going through that futile exercise of defining Canadian. And again, you said, you know, we, we referenced Letter Kenny, and I know there's been other films and other TV shows that have been worth watching, but they're such rare gems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because I think, I like to think it's because they went and broke that rule or sorry, av- avoided that, that pit uh, that I tried to avoid writing North. Mm-hmm. And, and even that film I referenced and Split City, well, Split City wasn't at all about Canada. You just don't try and define the undefinable. Right. You know, tell a tell a good story and connect with people on a on a human level and base it in Canada and you've got yourself a oh how did that happen right right it's exactly because like, well, you you regarded story above all else That's not awesome. agenda right so cool so what's next for North now that you got this news from Comicsology how can people find it how can people support it how can people maybe make sure that the second and third and the, you know, 13 issues or whatever get a print run. Well, um, there's a few answers or a few parts to that answer. One is we have a website, uh, and that's, uh, North, dot com. And on that site, people can order a digital copy. Uh, I, I don't think it will quite be presented as dynamically as uh comiXology will, but in the meantime, it, it should do. Uh, and that's a, one way to support us. We also have mail out so we can uh, mail you hard copies if you want to order them. We also have, because of our po- really positive experience with Kickstarter and the reward system, we've carried some of that over into our uh, website as well. So, uh, you know, to help out, there are ways to uh, to be a part of it. And uh, there's different tiers available for different, you know, uh, people and different amounts of money. And, uh, and you know, some of those rewards are having, having yourself drawn into the comic book or having some uh, art made there. Uh, one of our biggest rewards is a three-page story with featuring you and your family or your pets or whatever with members of North. So right now I'm currently drawing a three-pager for one of our big thousand dollar donors for the uh, Kickstarter. And uh, he's a patient man. So he knows like we've been in touch and he's, he's been a pleasure to deal with. So 
And what else? Uh, Comixology, I mean, is yet to be determined how that's going to go. I'll, I'll get notification when it's ready and, and when it's up. So I'll be excited to see how that goes. Uh, right now, as I said, we're raising money towards issue number two uh, as a physical print. But funny enough, if I found myself uh, in possession of the money that it would take to physically print number two, I might now opt for the digital production of number three because the pencils are already done and I would love to pay our colorist and letterer and then on Comixology, be able to reach the hundreds of thousands of readers with three issues instead of just the one or the two. So, so we'll see. Right, right. That's awesome. Are there plans to collect it into a graphic novel if you get that far and do do the run? A trade paperback, yeah. You know what's funny is North was written as a graphic novel, uh, but then the realities of it are such that you're like, well, okay, add this all up and you've got over $100,000 uh, to produce it. And I just thought, no, there's, there's no chance, no Kickstarter <laughs> is going to work at that level. So I broke it into, it was already broken up into chapters. So it was easy to break it into issues. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right, man. Well, I hope that people latch onto this. I hope they hear our conversation and I hope they go find it on Comicsology or if they live in Toronto at any of the comic shops that carry it. It's yeah. been a pleasure having you in. Thanks so much, Aaron. And we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. We'll meet again. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Hey, fanboys and fangirls, it's Aaron. I wanted to invite you to a very special event happening this weekend, April 7th to 9th. Harry Tarantula is having their 25th anniversary, and as part of that, Speech Bubble is recording our first live episodes. Our first episode happens on Saturday, April 8th at 2 p.m. with Chip Zdarsky, the Eisner Award winner for Sex Criminals. He also works on Jughead, Captara, Star-Lord, Howard the Duck. Then on Sunday, April 9th, we have Eisner Award winner Jay Torres coming in. You might know him from Teen Titans Go, Batman Brave and the Bold, Brobots, The Mighty Zodiac. Both these creators will be signing right after they talk to us, so come on out and get your book signed. Jay Torres is even offering a comic to the first 25 people that are in attendance for his signing on Sunday. Plus, Leon is throwing in balloon animals and face painting, so it should be fun for the whole family. Come on out this weekend and help us celebrate this milestone at 6979 Young Street.